Today's show is brought to you by Grammarly, an intelligent writing app. Download Grammarly's browser extension and create a free Grammarly account at www.getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. Let's go! All right, everybody, welcome to the 180th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage chilling here in Beaverton, Oregon on this beautiful day in the neighborhood. My goodness. Uh, Yo, your boy's sleep schedule is trash, but here I am ready to talk about this week of Blazers basketball. I mean, I feel like my sleep schedule has been completely turned upside down, getting up a lot earlier, but I've, I've been productive as hell today. Um, cures for a, a sports hangover for me. Okay, get up. We go to our local bagel shop, Bernstein's Bagels. Get all of our Thanksgiving shopping out of the way. By that time, I've worked up enough of an appetite. Get some King Burrito. Buy some plants. Going to record a holy backboard with you. And then after this, going to watch some Home Alone too. Drink some eggnog. I mean, that is the way to cure a 5-12 and 12 Blazers start to the season. And uh, didn't some other teams lose last night? That Yeah, the Ducks. T- <laughs> I'm, a di- I'm a dick. I know Ducks that. lost, yeah. <laughs> Oregon State choked as well, so not a great weekend for Oregon sports fans. We took massive L's this past Saturday, but that's the nature of sports. The highs are high, the lows are low. You can just gotta do your best to not let it affect you as much as possible. But for for the Blazers on the year, as I mentioned, five and twelve. This road trip has not been kind. Losers of four straight. Houston one thirty two one oh eight. New Orleans one fifteen one oh four. Milwaukee one thirty seven one twenty nine. And last night against the Cleveland Cavaliers one ten one oh four. Sage. I don't think we need to get into each game into detail as we tend to do sometimes when the things are going a little bit better. Overall, what is what do you think is number one on the list of things that is wrong with the Trailblazers outside of the obvious that Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins probably won't be seen on the court until spring break? You said all those scores. Our defense is pretty ass. I will say that there were parts of certain games where I was kind of happy about Hassan Whiteside being there. Um, you and I, we know that, that uh, New Orleans pick and roll kills us even with Yusuf Nurkic. When Hassan Whiteside was like, fuck this shit, Pelicans couldn't run a pick and roll to save their lives. Like, Drew got into the paint and had nowhere to go, and when he tried to get it to Jackson Hayes, Jackson Hayes couldn't get the ball because Hassan Whiteside was in his area. So there were some good parts in that Pelican game, but we are not a good defensive team. And those rebounds that we let happen are kind of backbreakers. So we need to definitely, I don't know how we can make our defense better and our rebounding better with the personnel that we have, but we have to think of something because. There's a good chance that this just isn't our year and we need to adjust expectations once again. I mean, have you ever been 
in a relationship or maybe with a friend where you try to make it work. You've tried going to counseling. Maybe you've tried hanging out in groups. It just, you just, it, you know, it's not going to happen. You, you try to make it happen. The writing's on the wall. You hit the nail on the head. With the personnel that we have, we are not going to be a good rebounding team. We are not going to be a good defensive team. And right now, I don't think we would be favored to be any team in the NBA unless we are playing the Golden State Warriors at home. We've obviously seen how we play them on the road. That is the only team I think Portland would be favored to win against. Maybe the New York Knicks. And, and that's a stretch at the moment. To me, the loss against Cleveland was a little bit of a breaking point for me in terms of having any hope that the season can be turned around. I, I think you and I both fall on the realistic spectrum in terms of optimist or pessimist with this team, always trying to look big picture and take everything into account that has gone on with this roster, which has led to this 5-12 and 12 start. But sooner or later, I'm starting to see the writing on the wall. And this is bad loss after bad loss after bad loss. Looking back through this year, okay, we stub our toe against the Warriors. Maybe chalk that up to we have the Clippers on TNT the night before, and there was no D'Angelo and no Draymond, so we thought we could just show up and win. Okay. Then we go and we play the Sacramento Kings without De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley. And this is coming off one of our five wins of the year against the Atlanta Hawks. What do we do? We lay another egg. Okay, now we're going to go on the road. We had just beaten the San Antonio Spurs in a dramatic comeback victory. Obviously, we took a loss against the Rockets. But then the Pelicans, who are just as banged up as we are. And what do we do? We really don't have a chance in the second half of that game either. We lose by 11. And to me, the last... Like I said, the straw that kind of broke my back was that Cleveland Cavaliers game. We really weren't in the game at all. I mean, we were down 10. We were just trading baskets. Felt like the entire second half. And this is a Cleveland team that was without Kevin Love. They were playing on the second night of a back-to-back in which they had just lost by, I think, 43 points. And Sage, they were 4-11 going into that game. 4-11. We had Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. They had Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. We just got destroyed in the paint. I, I'm kind of at a loss that Tristan Thompson was enough to take us out of our rhythm, to basically hand us a loss. I, I just don't know if the team if, if there's an answer, because, you know, we've talked about December 15th being the, the first day that we could make trades. But again, if you trade Hassan, we have no backup. And that's what we talked about, even in the preseason. I remember specifically saying, hey, I really like the moves that we've made, but I think Neil probably didn't give us enough backup big depth. We knew going into the season that Nurk was going to be on the shelf for the majority of the year. And... I'm kind of pissed off we actually signed Pau Gasol knowing that it could have been a year-long recovery process. We could have used that roster spot for a Rashawn Holmes type of big, a Kenneth Fareed big that can rebound and play some defense. And it just feels like we didn't address that. Yes, Anthony Tolliver can shoot and spread the floor, but he's not meant to play center and try to go up against Tristan Thompson. 
Maria Hozonia is more of a point forward, which we just don't need. That There hasn't been a need for that for this roster. Dame, CJ, and Ant, they're enough ball handlers for this, for this team to go on. So everyone is to blame. I mean, really, Neil's to blame. Terry's to blame. The players are to blame. It, it just hasn't been our year. And yeah, injuries have been a bitch. And they've been costly and devaluable pieces. But it shouldn't be this bad. 5-12, and 12, given this schedule, I know it's been road heavy. But you look at all of the players who have been out on opposing teams. Some teams aren't as good as we originally thought heading into the season. 5-12 and 12 is just flat out uh, unacceptable. So do you think we would have won if Hassan played? I do. But then yeah, again, but then again, we should have won against the Pelicans and Hassan did play. I mean, that was one of the worst. <sighs> but let's talk about the Pelican game. Let's actually talk about it. Pelicans ran a really good defense for the Blazers without Damian Lillard. They boxed and won the shit out of CJ. And then whenever he dished it to Hassan, they doubled instantly. It's not like they played man defense and let them work. They they were the aggressors. And anytime that you could add pressure, if you looked at the Pelicans any other time, you say, oh, this is a bad defensive team. Well, against this particular team, they had a very good scheme and kept adding pressure to it. To CJ and Hassan. So, I mean, it, 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 we put up 104 points and we shot pretty poor, 43% from the field. We did shoot 16 to 29 from downtown. I, I don't think offense was the reason we lost this game. I, I can't count on my hands how many open threes that, that Melly had, how many open threes that Alexander Water. Just the defense has been absolutely abysmal. Oh. It's like we ran a zone, except we were playing man, and that right corner was open the entire time. Because it was just swing, swing, right corner three. Swing, swing, right corner three. You know it's bad when Carmelo Anthony, making his debut over a year, in over a year's absence, was arguably our best defender, just in terms of pointing things out, communicating. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were times where we just flat out lost people. Yeah. And, and I get it. You know, we're playing rosters and we're playing lineups that we would have never have fathomed come preseason. But these are professional basketball players at the absolute highest level. There should be some expectations that you can go out there and play basic communicating defense. Mm -hmm. Like, even if it's just like, hey, I got your man, you got this man, and we're just going to stick with him and transition, find your man. Like you're playing, you know, rec ball. Okay, I, I got number five. That's it. You know, we're not going to talk about switching or help side. Like, this was just borderline. I don't know where I'm supposed to be on the floor. And and that that was frustrating. How did you think Carmelo Anthony did his first three games? You know, the good news with the Blazers losing four straight, and obviously the last three with Carmelo Anthony, Carmelo Anthony is not the problem. No, 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 no. He's averaging 13 points in 30 minutes of action. He's not shooting particularly well, 34% from the field. He was shooting really well from three. If you count the New Orleans and Milwaukee games, he was shooting five of eight, but he had an O of eight spot against the Cavaliers, which has dropped his overall average down to 31%. Uh, grabbing four boards, two dimes, only two and a half turnovers a night. I mean, he has 
I've liked what I've seen when we can get him in his spots. I really like when we run the pick and roll and he flares out to the corner, gets set open three. I like when we post him up on the block and he can just go to work. I mean, you want to talk about the bright spot of the week. I thought it was that Milwaukee Buck performance. Again, Mm -hmm. no Hassan, no Dame. You're going up against one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, a team that absolutely embarrassed us on that same floor with a fully stacked Blazer roster last year. And we had a chance to take a lead in the fourth quarter when CJ McCollum hit that or took that uh, wing three and it just it didn't go in. And, you know, they end up beating us by eight. But we had a chance and we really busted our ass. And I guess what's annoying to me is it feels like if we had played with that urgency and intensity, yes, we gave up 137, but you could just tell we were trying. And you could tell we were really being greedy and going after it. We would have beaten the Pelicans and we would have beaten the Cavaliers had we played like that. But we play down to the level of our competition for God knows what reason, because we're the fourth worst team in the NBA. I mean, your records tells you who you are. I mean, you're, you can sit. When Dame's on the court, these guys feel like, I'm just going to watch Dame dribble. I'm going to watch what he does. I have the best seat in the house to see what Dame does. In that Milwaukee game, they have one game of, like, runway. Okay, he's not coming back to this game. We have to try hard. And let's be real about the roster in that Milwaukee game. C.J. McCollum's the only one that has a contract for next year. The rest of them, it's a question mark. I mean, obviously Ant, but, like, everybody else is on a one-year deal, an approved deal. Like, these guys tried really hard and were scrapping. And then when Dame came back, a lot of them reverted to, let's see what Dame can pull out of his ass against that Cleveland team. Well, I think what we're seeing with this this Blazer roster, and we've touched on this probably in the past two or three episodes, is everyone feels like they're going to be the one that are going to get us above water and take us to shore. Everyone feels like, okay, I'm going to put the cape on and I'm going to play hero ball. And it's going to be okay. I'll get us back into the game. Like that Cleveland game, I saw so much, okay, one pass, dribble, 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 try to get to the basket, shoot a pull-up jumper. There's just no trust. There's no communication. There's no ball movement. And when the Blazers have been the best this year, when you look at that fourth quarter against San Antonio, we saw a lot of ball movement. We saw a lot of cutting and we saw a lot of trust in each other. And sooner or later, we're just going to have to trust that the next man's going to make the shot, that they're going to make the play that they're supposed to, because this playing by ourselves offense that we like to run is going to get us nowhere but the top of the lottery. And and maybe that's what we need this year, but that's not going to fix our problems even when Zach and Nurk get back. We need to run an actual offense. And I get that we only have probably five or ten plays that we can actually run, given the lineups that we're running out there because there's just no continuity or chemistry with the five guys on the floor at any given time. But that doesn't mean that you can't cut and move, screen and move, just basic fundamental basketball. And all I'm seeing is pounding the ball on the floor, spread the floor, and maybe we had a circus shot or a pull-up too. But that's not sustainable over 48 minutes, even against the worst NBA team. There's been a lot of talk about our pick and roll offense and it's kind yeah, it's not pretty, but it's effective. We're actually a top five team in terms of pick and roll in the NBA. We're we're actually effective. I think we got to run that pick and roll more just because, yeah, it's not, it, it, it definitely isn't pretty, but 
we're a top five team in efficiency. We're in that 89th percentile pick and roll team. We, should, we probably should be doing that. And I mean, break it down to the most basic brand of basketball and try and build a scheme off it. Uh, this is this is the biggest test Terry Stotts has ever had. Absolutely. We're injured as fuck. Like this, like I remember earlier this year when before the season started, people were talking about Terry Stotts as like a motivator. This is where he has to prove that he actually is a motivator. When seven people are injured and you have to find a scheme. Remember when Nate McMillan hurt himself because he was a body on the floor? This is Absolutely. where Terry Stotts has to prove that he can be that type of coach. And I, I don't know if that's going to happen just because Terry Stotts is more free-flowing, more free-reign. And C.J. McCollum, even on his pull-up podcast, mentioned that like everyone's got the green light. Like He's not going to tell you to, to stop shooting the ball if you're open, shoot. And I think that works, but at the same time, I don't think, I don't think his kind of players first mentality needs to take a back seat, but he does maybe need to get into some guys. And he, the, the, the team in the past during his tenure has said, you know, Terry doesn't really get upset. So when he did, I took notice. I think it's time he gets upset. And yes, he is to blame just as much as, as the players. He allows them to go one on one. He allows them to take pretty terrible shots and he puts, he makes some decisions that you kind of scratch your head. You know, you go back to that Toronto game where Hazonia went in when Nasir was playing really good defense on Siakam. And that's kind of when the floodgates opened up in, in that one and cost us the game. But, you know, you go back to, to that 20, 2009, 2010. I mean, we lost so many players, but we were still able to win 50 games. I, I just, I'm not certain that that's going to happen this year. We had a pretty big midseason trade. We dealt Blake and Outlaw and got Marcus Camby, and that really gave us gave us a shot. But I mean, we still had size. I mean, we had Lamarcus and Marcus Camby. I mean, we had Batum, and then you have Andre Miller, and we had Brandon Roy up to a certain point. Martel Webster. So, so we had defenders. We had size. This Blazer team just has no size, mm-hmm. and I think that is. I mean, that's the fault of Neil for not adding bigs in a in a uh, on the team like yes it's a positionless basketball game but you need bigs to end possessions we did not have a big to end the possessions of the cleveland cavaliers so larry nance and tristan thompson added second and third possessions to each to each shot like they, it, it was such a bad look for us to just have scalabissier as the only real big I mean, Anthony Tolliver tries, and I give him props for actually trying, but we just don't have the size to compete with teams with hungry centers that want the rebound. So obviously we haven't even touched on why Portland has the open roster spot. It is because Pau Gasol, really out of the blue, just came out on Instagram and said, I'm no longer a member of the Trailblazers roster. It appears that he and the Trailblazers amicably split ways. His injury was a 6 to 12 month recovery time. Apparently, it's leaning towards the latter. So, the Blazers and Powell parted ways. There is potential for him to possibly stay on uh, as the coaching staff, which would be fantastic, but again, 
if knowing that the 12-month recovery time was even an option, you really have to question why Neil O'Shea went after him. Given how weak we were up front, especially with Yusuf Nurkic on the shelf until sometime in 2020. Well, this wouldn't have been so outrageous if Zach Collins was healthy. I mean, we'd still be light in the ass, but... That's true, but you're putting all of your eggs in a Zach Collins 21, 22-year-old basket, and I just don't think that's fair to the fans, the team, or Zach himself. Yeah, I mean, in in this... In this uh, simulation of, you know, basketball, this shit didn't work, man. Like, at least they had a, like, if this doesn't work in 15 games, we're going to cut ties with you and you can be a coach but and be a, a big man coach. But, like, it seems like it was a bad, uh, bad idea, especially when – those injuries started to pile up because they could have, if we had two open roster spots, we probably could have gotten Ken Freed and Melo or, you know, Ken Freed and whoever. It just seems a little short-sighted. If you, if, if we wanted him to be the coach, just give him, give him the coaching job and be like, yo, this is, this is, uh, this is your role. Help us get better. But I, and I also, know. knowing what we know about Carmelo and how hungry he was to play ball, and that Neil had actually had the conversations with him in the preseason, I don't know why we didn't just bring him in from the jump and not even bother with a Hazonia or Tolliver. I mean, we're talking about moves. Yes, we were strapped in terms of how much money we could offer, but Melo was always going to be a minimum guy. It just feels like Neil really screwed up. And, I, and I've and i really been a supporter of his since he added Rodney and Ennis. And he was a huge reason why we were able to get to the Western Conference Finals. So he earns himself some leeway. But anytime you turn over a roster that did go to the Western Conference Finals, the moves you make are under a microscope. You're going to face some scrutiny if, if those don't work out. So to me, I, I'm not really questioning letting Chief go. Trading Evan Turner, again, Myers and Moe for Whiteside is, to me, is still up in the air. It's not as egregious as some make it out to be. What really concerns me about the offseason were those minimum moves. And if you just would have gotten Noah and Mello from the jump and kind of said, thanks but no thanks to Tolliver and Hazonia, maybe we're able to do something different and, and we're at a different position right now. But... It's it's looking really bleak, Sage, and that's I mean, coming that's coming from someone who has tried to see the good in this season. I mean, if our season is dependent on minimum priced guys to make a break, there might have been some mistakes with the bigger salary players. That's true, but I, I would argue that Rodney Hood was he was making the the qualifying offer and we got him for Wade Baldwin and Nick Stauskas, which were two minimum players. And we picked up Ennis Cantor off of the buyout market. So I think we were always going to be reliant on, on those type of guys. We were really locked in with Dame, CJ, Nurk making 12 million. I mean, that summer of 16 really put yeah, us. It's true. I mean, shit. Yes. Alan Crabb ain't on the team. But guess who's getting paid by us still? Andrew Nicholson. Andrew Nicholson. Yeah. Like, so 16 is still affecting us today. And Andrew Nicholson's making six, right? I think he's making like $6 million. 
the fact that we were paying someone not to be there, that $6 million could have went to a Rodney Hood quality player. A Rodney Hood quality big. $6 million big. And we're paying it to some dude who isn't there. So 16 is still very much affecting us. I mean, we're essentially looking at not having a Ned, a Davis or Robin Lopez caliber player. So it's been a, ba- a bad start. There is no sugarcoating that. And we all wish we could hit the reset button. We all wish we could kind of sim to the end and just see where the chips lie without having to, to go through, God, 65 more games of this. But there has been a bright spot. And I think the bright spot, again, is Nasir Little, the, the, rookie, the rookie from, from North Carolina. Anthony's been a little hit or miss, and he's still going to go through some growing pains, which I expected. I mean, to he's me, 20 years old, bro. He's 20 years old, but that he's not a surprise because when he does well, I'm like, yeah, that's Ant. And when he struggles, it's like, okay, he's really in his first year. To me, the fact that we're getting anything out of Nasir Little is such a positive. Mm-hmm. And you look at this road trip against Houston, 11.7 boards, two assists. Against New Orleans, 12 points, 5 of 6 shooting, 11 rebounds. His first career double-double adds in a block and a steal. Against Milwaukee, 12 points, 3 of 5 shooting. Does that in just 17 minutes. Has a bit of a rough outing against the Cavaliers, but he only took two shots. He did have six rebounds, a block and a steal, and only played 13 minutes. I think Terry Stotts' number one MO for this season, if we're going to lose like that, give this kid at least 20 minutes a night. There is no excuse for him not to play that much, given how he's already produced, his energy, and the fact. He's better than who I have. And he's one of the biggest bodies we have on the team. And by the way, he he said on Twitter he is taller than six five. So somebody messed up in the in the NBA uh, statistics. So in those games that he's played and had real time, he's played more than twenty minutes, right? He's hovering between like seventeen and twenty three. Some games he plays more, some games he plays less. Uh, obviously, he got into some foul trouble against Houston, but he started. Now he's come off the bench with, with Carmelo in, in the fold. As we mentioned, Melo shouldn't impact his playing time at all. I think what I think fouls contributed fouls, to fouls have been the most. But I mean, shit, Sage, we're losing with Dame and CJ playing basketball. I don't care if the Sears getting lost on defense or if he's making bad rotations. He's busting his ass and he's trying. Oh, yeah, shit. I mean, I remember in that New Orleans game we went for layup and uh, the Pelicans collapsed and dude just got. Re- got tip dunks and stuff. He his athleticism and his relentlessness is really a beautiful thing when we're lacking for a lot of that. So I mean Nasir Nasir's gonna get his minutes. Terry Stotts is not gonna move him out of the rotation for anything. And uh, We hope. We hope. I mean shit, if he does, then really there's this whole I, I would agree with the whole fire stats mentality. If he if he doesn't play him because he wants to win in a in a season where right now wins are at a loss, or wins are very hard to come by, that that's kind of a bad offense. Uh, but I, I don't think I think I think it is a mandated thing that where we play Nasir Little as real rotation minutes because you got to develop talent, and this is kind of the season to develop Nasir Ant. And Gary Trent Jr. had a really good game against uh, Cleveland. And Milwaukee. Yeah. Gary Trent is a player 
that I think got unfairly criticized by some of the Blazer community. Obviously, we, as a Blazer fandom, like to pick just one player or or coach, and they're the scapegoat for the entire season. And for a while, it was it was Gary Trent in the summer because people perceived him to be a chucker. Well, in summer league, he was our second best player. He's going to get those attempts on an NBA roster when he he is on the floor. He's probably the fourth or fifth option. He's the fifth option, damn right. Every Every rotation he's in, he's the fifth option. I really liked how he came into the game. We found him in rhythm, and he took shots not out of his skill set. He wasn't trying to create off the dribble. He wasn't trying to go with his back to the basket and you know champion his inner Carmelo. Went off a couple of, went off a couple of curls, got some open looks, knocked him down. Like we should be giving him some, some time as well. Like if Kent Bazemore honestly is going to continue to play the way he's played, I'd be okay with either either one moving base because he's an expiring deal, or just letting him play a little bit of spot minutes and give give Gary those those playing time minutes because I mean, who's going to be part of the who's who has a better chance of be being part of the core? Who has a it's better good. chance? It's Gary Trent. Yeah. So if sacrificing Kent Bazemore's minutes helps Gary Trent Jr. become the player that he can become, it's worth it. And if we could potentially trade Bays and that allows Kemp, uh, Gary Trent Jr. to get more time, kind of like Evan Turner getting traded allowed Anthony Simons to get more time, I think it's worth it, especially if, if it's going to be a player development type of year. And I think it has to be at this point. Just given the fact that we really can't beat the worst teams in the league, we so how do we ex- how do we expect to even be in the playoff conversation when when Nurk and Collins returns? To me, time is is of the essence, and it is not our ally. We are running out of it. Each loss is felt twofold, in my opinion. Just given the status of the Western Conference, I mean, you look at the Blazers. We have the fourth fourth. Worst record in the entire NBA, second second worst in the West, only to the Golden State Warriors, and right now the Minnesota Timberwolves are sitting in eighth eighth place. They're at eight and eight. We're already four back uh, of the T Wolves, and we can't even beat teams like like the Cavaliers. So to me, there's two things that can ruin this season: one, overexerting Dame and CJ, and two, clawing and scratching only to get the eighth seed and get a first round exit just like we did in 2017 with, with Nurk Fever. Like, that is the worst thing that could happen to this franchise. Be smart about it. Look what the Warriors are doing. They know this season is a lost cause. They are going to get a great lottery pick, and they're going to have Clay, Draymond, and Steph back in the fold and whatever they get for D'Angelo. Be smart like the Spurs in 97. They they were the NBA's best team record-wise just, just two seasons prior. And they're a proud franchise. They realized, okay, Admiral's out. That's cool. What do they do? They set themselves up for the next 20 years. They won the lottery. Yes, it takes luck, but everything in the NBA takes luck. Mm-hmm. And they got Tim Duncan. I'm not saying there's another Tim Duncan in, in this draft, but there are really good prospects. And either you, maybe you can trade that pick to get that, that missing piece that we've been That's obviously, yeah. we've just been, you know, talking about for years. But if we don't see some turnaround immediately, I think that the onus really needs to shift towards next year because we're talking about Dame, CJ, Rodney, Zach, Nurk, Ant, Nasir. That is a great seven. You've also got $45 million in expiring contracts that you can move or you can have for cap space and a top 10 pick. 
That is a really good spot to have, Sage. And tell me, how many teams have a would have a better core under 23 years old than Ant, Nasir, Zach, and a top five pick? And that's not even mentioning that we have Dame and CJ. So yeah, there are teams that have a better core than that under 23. But to have that core and also have the veteran leadership of Dame, CJ, and Nurk, I mean, come on, that this season sucks, and, and I'm aware of that. But I'm ready just to look look future, and I know I know Dame doesn't want to do that, but I mean, he he can try, but like, how many teams right now have a brighter future than the Blazers in the next three to five years? I mean, I think. I don't know if it's brighter, but but teams that I would talk, I, I Dallas with Doncic, mm-hmm. Milwaukee with Giannis, although he is a free agent in 2021. I hope he stays. As well. And Atlanta is going to be good if, if their rookies hit because Trey Young is a freaking monster. Mm-hmm. I would throw New Orleans there if we're going to be biased. I need to see Zion. But I, I do. Hey. Like he needs to. I, I'm, yes. He needs to play. He needs to stay healthy. And as a Blazer fan who has seen a young player. Many. Yes. Many. But like four or fives, like there's not that many teams with a brighter future now, like a brighter future for the next few years. LeBron's getting older. They like there's teams that have a window that's closing. Ours is still very much open. This year sucks. And I will admit that this year sucks. But if you're talking about two, three, four years from now, this team has a bright ass future, and think about that when we're losing to the Cavs or the Bulls or the Warriors. Like those teams don't have as bright of a future as us. We just have to get through this one bad season, and then it's clear sailing. All right, Sage. Let's take a break. For our sponsors, and we'll get back into it with a preview of this week's slate of games, our favorite Thanksgiving foods, and an early look at some draft prospects. For you, the listeners of Holy Backboard, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard. Again, that's getgrammarly.com forward slash holy backboard to download Grammarly for free. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, it is Thanksgiving week officially. What are you most looking forward to in terms of of that palette, in terms of that spread? What is on your mind? Um, So uh, my brother and I are going to drive down to uh, Medford uh, on Tuesday, and then we're going to spend the weekend with um, my mama and... uh, I'm pretty hyped about turkey doesn't really get me going, but I always mess with the sides. Turkey's dry. You have to do it really well. It's a, that's a high variance ass, uh, poultry. So I, I, I'm, I'm more, uh, excited about the sides, like the mashed potatoes, 
green bean casserole, uh, stuffing. Uh, my mom's making like a prosciutto mushroom stuffing, which I'm pretty hyped about because pork is fantastic. Um, what are you most excited about in your uh, dietary? What 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 are you most excited about? Never mind, I'm not gonna make fun of your dietary shit. Uh, I would say the sides as well. I make a mean mashed potatoes. Uh, Whole Foods has the best mushroom gravy. To me, what I like doing best, there's two things I look forward to. One is the leftovers. I take them all and I roll them up in a tortilla and make a Thanksgiving burrito. Those are bomb. I have the, you know, those multiple days afterwards. You've got your, your sweet potatoes, your mashed potatoes, stuffing, cranberry sauce, real cranberry sauce, by the way, not the stuff in the can. And obviously the gravy. I love taking leftover biscuits with that mushroom gravy and making egg and cheese sandwiches out of that. That is flames. And then the desserts. Olga is going to go crazy. We're doing an apple pie bread pudding, a lemon meringue pie, and a pumpkin cheesecake. So the desserts and then the leftover burritos. I am looking forward to it. That, so that I'm going to challenge you. Why do you make such bomb mashed potatoes? One, you gotta use red potatoes. You have to leave the skins on them. And then you just, just a perfect mixture of salt, pepper. I use Greek yogurt. Um, any that sort butter? of butter. Okay. Yep. All right. And then I use, uh, I use almond milk with mine. Uh, so I kind of got to keep a little bit lactose, uh, light. Uh, hey, hey, man. I, I am one of the victims of. Not being able to digest lactose, I'll risk it for the biscuit to know, or you know, for on Thursday. I'm, I'm totally ready, willing, and able to get really sick after it, but it's worth it. <laughs> God damn, that's such a bad sense. <laughs> um, whew, I don't know. What's your What's your least favorite? Like, what's one thing that maybe your family always makes, and you're just like, no, hard Re- pass. We're a restaurant family, bro. Um. So we we know how to cook. Um, you know, chi- us Chinese don't really know how to make desserts. So it's mostly store-bought, but there's some years I try and fail very hard. So I guess it's my contri- contribution to the dinner as a whole. Like, I, I'd be chill with just a Costco uh, uh, pumpkin pie. But yeah, I mean, yo, it, it's cool to hang out with the, my mom, you know, you know unfortunately, <laughs> I'm going to be such a nerd that week. Um, Civilization, Civilization 4 is out on Xbox, and then 2K has a bunch of uh, double, and triple, and quadruple XP days, so I'm going to be playing some Xbox too, so yeah, it's going to be a fun week. I'm, I'm excited about uh, seeing my mom. So with the Blazers and your Pelicans kind of dragging dragon ass in the Western Conference, uh, the Pels currently would have the 12th pick, the Blazers the 4th pick. Have you done any preliminary draft scouting, or is that on your to-do list as we get into December and the New Year? I think it's very risky to think of prospects now with such little sample size. So I'll check Takeathon and such, but I don't dive into it unless until there's more games and more things you can look at and see 
there's some really good point guards. There's a great center. That guard from Georgia looks good, but I'm not, I'm not de- deep diving until a little later, until the sample size is a little bigger. I think I'm going to start that that dive and probably maybe watch some highlight vids. I think one thing that I've learned over the years is to not take how they perform in college as an indicator of what they're going to do in the NBA. The college game is so different, especially now when the talent level is pretty depleted. It's more cluttered. It's not as free-flowing. I mean, you look at a guy like Nasir Little, I think, is a classic example. He kind of got stuck in a pretty rigid system at North Carolina, and he's not playing with guys like Damon CJ. He's not kind of allowed just the free reign that Terry Stotts gives him. He's much more of an open-court player, a, a guy that needs a lot of freedom. Uh, to shoot a couple of threes, and if you miss it, no big deal. But I really didn't see what he's doing now while he was at North Carolina. And so it's important just to know that what you see is not necessarily what you're going to get. I think there are a couple of statistics that translate over. Uh, Neil Olshay has talked about free throw shooting being more valuable than three-point shooting as an indicator of their their range in, in the league, uh, obviously rebounding is one that always trans, I mean, you look at Paul Millsap, you look at Kenneth Freed, DeWan Blair, I mean, just players who grab boards in college, they find a way to do that in, in the league as well. I mean, Montrez Harrell is just a monster. He was a monster at Louisville and he's a monster with the Clippers. So unfortunately, there aren't a lot of bigs in this draft. Yes, there's James Wiseman at Memphis, who have some have compared to a 7-1 version of, of Chris Bosch. Uh, Anthony Edwards is basically just a bull uh, of a shooting guard at Georgia. Uh, Cole Anthony, the son of former Trailblazer Greg Anthony, is putting up historic numbers at North Carolina. Uh, LaMelo Ball is the youngest of the Ball brothers. He is playing down in Australia, but he's a 6'6 floor general, which... Do you think he's a point guard? I think he's he's just a... A basketball player. player. Yeah, he he is a basketball player. And for some positions, that works. And I can already envision if the Blazers do end up with a top five pick, people are going to say, oh, we already have Anthony. We already have Zach. We should go this. We should go that. No. If if you are a Blazer fan, you should know that we have passed on Durant. We have passed on Jordan because we had other players available. You take the best player available regardless of where you draft and you make it work. So... We all love Anthony, we all love Zach, but it doesn't mean just because if we get a guy like Wiseman or if we get, you know, Cole Anthony or LaMelo, that they can't play with one another. So just try to find some clips that you can watch. I mean, obviously, it's it, I'm probably not going to watch full games. That's just too much of a commitment, especially watching college basketball. It's pretty tough to do for me. Do you watch Oregon games? I do watch Duck games, and I watch the Oregon women's team as well. So th- those are really the only two games or two teams that I watch in college. So try to watch, I think Draft Express used to do really good breakdowns. Um, you know, YouTube is an invaluable resource of just highlight clips of strengths and weaknesses. Uh, just because we need a small forward doesn't mean we should draft one. Best player available. I mean, that is probably another really good Blazer podcast name because God knows that's what we should have done in 84 and in 07. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's a time commitment, but if you watch the games, you're going to have more of a cultured opinion about players. Yeah, you're going to have an understanding of what they can do well, what they need to improve upon, where they're really weak at. And yeah, you're right. You'll you'll have 
better an understanding of what's going on come draft time, make more, I think, researched decisions and like, oh man, I really wish we would have took an XYZ player. Mm-hmm. And it's also... But it's the time commitment. And yeah, yeah. It's a time commitment, but I found the drafts that I get the most enjoyment out of is when I know most about the prospects and you get excited when players start to drop. 2012, I think 2017 was a really fun year because we had those two picks. And so you're looking at guys and really starting to pinpoint who you want. And yeah, it can lead to maybe some disappointment when you don't pick who you want. But also there is some validation in saying, hey, I really knew Paul Millsap was going to be a good player. We had three picks that year. Why didn't we take him in one of those picks? And there's also some times where you're like, I was completely wrong about that. So for me personally, I like having that. I like really putting myself in the GM's shoes and saying, I would do this. And I think it gives you credibility when maybe you're complaining that, hey, why did we pick this player? So maybe that's just a personal quirk of mine, but I do enjoy knowing a lot about the players and just really diving into that season because, you know, the 2000s, there have been a lot of years where the draft was our only light at the end of the tunnel and we're kind of in one of those years right now. So it's it's kind of worth it to devote some time to it because you know we could be adding a future piece to to our long term solution. Yeah, and I mean, it's always cool to be able to be like, yo, well, I, I liked Wes Wundu over uh, Caleb Swanigan or whatever the thing may be. Having having a deep understanding of a player by watching him in college makes the the connection. I think a lot deeper because I'll always root for Bruce Brown. I'll always root for Wes Wundu. I'll root for Otto Porter, even though he's disappears in games. Like, you know, these players, like I watched every Kentucky game I could when Anthony Davis was there. Cause I thought he was going to be so good. And then when your team drafts him, it's like, Oh my God, I get to watch this person for eight more years until he bitches out and wants to go to a big market. It's crazy. You, you develop something with these players once you watch them. And, like, I'll always root for Bruce Bowden. I'll always root for Wes Wendu, uh, Denzel Valentine, even though he's – But, like, you know, you'll do, you you develop these, you know, sort of relationships with players if you watch them develop in, in college. All right, Sage, we have a fan question I want to get to before we dive into the the week's worth of games. So, at the Blazers fan wants to know, I understand why people are saying we need a power forward. However, if we picked up a Blake Griffin or Kevin Love, yuck, in regards to Kevin Love, wouldn't that hurt our long-term plans with Zach Collins? Mm -hmm. What role would Zach have in this scenario when he gets healthy? I think that's a fantastic question. If we traded for a big... Yes. I mean... So, I think, hypothetically... At the Blazers fan is saying we trade Whiteside plus Nasir or some other player mm-hmm. not named Zach Collins and we get Blake or, or or Kevin Love. How does that impact Zach, especially when we have Nurkic coming back on the fold in 2020? I would imagine that Zach Nurk and play that player would play damn near every second of the game and it'd be a three-man rotation that'd be really, really effective. But it would stifle his development quite a bit because playing time equals you know it's the most important thing for a young big especially because bigs take longer to develop 
So it would definitely hamper it. But if I was Terry Stotts, I would I, two of those three would be on the floor at all times, and we would we would be running that three man rotation and probably dominating. But it like you were wondering, it would stifle his uh, development. And Nurk and Zach are so damn young, and Blake Griffin has all of these health problems. He's healthy now, but he doesn't play back to backs. Kevin loves a a kind of delicate player as well with injury issues. So is, is trading whatever it takes to get him worth, you know, 60 plus games of Blake or, or or, uh, Kevin, you know, that's stuff you have to weigh out. Yeah. I think Portland is in a really difficult predicament right now in terms of their roster structure. It's clear. We need help up front, but we don't need long-term help up front. Zach and Nurk are, are the solutions. They're just out for a while. And that's why I don't want to make a panic trade because if you do that, then what the Blazers fan is asking is, what do you do with Zach now? I mean, he's supposed to be our our long-term solution, and now you're going to put him back on the bench. Yes, it's a really good three-man rotation, but is it really worth it? And then you have Damon CJ... So you don't need help with the guards. It, it the like I said, the Blazers are just in a weird spot where they need talent and they need size, but it, it's all going to come to them. They're just going to have to wait. And so the only way I would make a trade if if I was Neil Olshay is if there's a superstar in a clear upgrade at any position three, four, and five. I think you're locked in, especially with those extensions we dealt out to Damon CJ. I think you're locked in to those players long-term. And so now you just have to say, is there an upgrade over Nurk? Probably unlikely, especially given how well his contract is. Is there an upgrade over Zach? There might be, but again, he's on a rookie deal. And then, you know, Rodney is a fantastic value as well. Maybe there's a small forward there and you can move Rodney to the bench. bench. Well, let's talk about Blake Griffin in particular. If we traded for him and it was, let's just say, Dame, CJ, Rodney, Blake, Nurk, do you feel like there's too many cooks in the kitchen that need usage rate and need the ball in their hands for that particular lineup? It's very good, but it, it kind of seems like there's too many ball-dependent players because Blake does his best work with the ball, Nurk does as well. CJ had a really down year because he didn't have usage. So is it, it would that be too many skilled players? And I think that's what we're kind of starting to see now, especially with Dame, CJ, Rodney. And then you have your, your two bigs that you're kind of playing. You know, Rodney is, is a fantastic player, one of my favorite Blazers, but he does need the ball. And I, I don't think we give him enough opportunities because Dame and CJ take a quite lot. A, yeah. They take their volume shooters. Um, Hassan so gets you, 20% usage rate too. So it's and, like. And so oh. if you add in Blake and Kevin Love, or Kevin Love, yeah. That's a that's another. You know, they're going to need ten plus shots, and I don't think there are ten plus shots to go around. That's why Zach Collins is such a a crucial piece because he's a two way player whose biggest asset is on the defensive end of the floor. And I know a lot of people want to bring Lamarcus Aldridge into the fold. He's another guy that needs fifteen shots a night. I don't know if there are enough basketballs for for that team. If if Portland is looking to make an upgrade, it either has to be for that that third star that gets 15 to 20 shots or 
And if you do that, you probably might need to get rid of Rodney or bring him off the bench. Or you might have to get rid of Nurk because Nurk needs touches too. Or probably just find some role players that can be two-way, two-way threats. Uh, guys like Robert Covington, guys like Montrez Harrell, those types who are probably going to make their biggest impact on the defensive end, but they're just going to scrap and get that. They're going to get their own. And that's why I really like Nasir Little because he doesn't need the ball in his hands to score. He's a mover without the ball. So if, if I'm Neil, I'm targeting that type of player that's going to come in and fit seamlessly. I think we as fans, a lot of the times like to see one through 12, just the best collection of talent on the roster, but that's not how basketball played. It's a team sport. And when the Blazers won the title, Everyone had their role. Everyone contributed in special ways that complemented one another. The best players out there are ones that complement each other, and they're not just there to get their own stats and take up a lot of the, the usage. You can only have so many players on your team that are high-usage guys. I mean, Houston doesn't work. I mean, it's already tough right now with Harden and Westbrook. There's no way they could have anybody else that needs the ball in their hands. That's why they get a bunch of no-name shooters, and they just tell them to stand out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I think that we are at the point where if we want to have Nurkic back, we can't have high-usage threes and fours. It's just, It just doesn't work. It just, I mean, if you're willing to have CJ have an off year just because he doesn't get the ball enough, go for him getting a big usage rate player, but like Blake, yo, if you've watched Blake Griffin, you see how much he has the ball in his hands. Kevin Love, honestly, if we were talking roster construction, would be the my preferred person because he doesn't, his usage rate's down, but oh, he still is going to directly affect CJ, Dame, and Nurkic if he comes to the Blazers. There's no way that he couldn't affect their the amount of time the ball is in their hands. So we're we're at a place where it's very delicate. If we were to get that th- that third star, like that's the only way we can make a big upgrade. I can see us make making a trade for a a usable vet, like that's on a bad con, that's like on a a, a short term contract. But I don't see us making a trade for a guy that is just going to be a usage monster and an inflated salary. You need a guy like Draymond Green, a guy like, that's going to facilitate who can hit the open shot, but his best asset is is his defense. You need a guy whose best asset is not their ability to get the ball in the basket. We don't need that. We need defenders. We need passers. We really need guys who have experience winning big games. So that's who I would target. I mean, look no further than Philly. Last year, Ben Simmons, Tobias, Jimmy Butler, and Embiid. Too many cooks in the kitchen, and it just didn't work. Yes, I know they took the Raptors to seven. Kawhi hit a crazy shot, but still they lost. Would you take Thad Young? Someone like that, a vet like that? I mean, again, it all depends on cost. But yeah, I think we just need overall upgrade and talent. And that's why we were so successful last year. We added guys like Rodney and Ennis who came in and played their roles really well. They accepted the role, which is the most important thing. Like Rodney and Ennis accepted it. Whereas you're telling Kevin Love that he only gets eight shots a game. I don't know if he's going to accept that particular role or Blake Griffin. Like you're not going to, you're going to be the third option for playmaking, maybe the fourth. Like, uh, I don't think he's about it, but in 2k, that'd be, that'd be fucking dope. (laughs) All right, Sage, let's wrap this up. Looking at some predictions for this week. Last week, we were both two and two. 
I am 5 and 12 on the season. You are 9 and 7. We have three games at Chicago on the 25th, which is a Monday. And then Portland has games sandwiching the Thanksgiving holiday at home. The Thunder on Wednesday and the Bulls again on Friday. Chicago is coming off of a, a crazy finish against the Charlotte Hornets where Zach Levine hits a, a seals the ball, hits a game winning three there down five with about five seconds to go. How many threes he hit that game? Like 13? Yeah, he was insane. There are some internal mm-hmm. struggles there with Jim Boylan <laughs> and Zach Levine. Uh, obviously, the Blazers have already defeated the Thunder once this year, but I don't trust them to be anybody right now. Instead of going too in-depth on the Bulls and the Thunder, what are some things that you're going to look for this over the course of these three games, things that our fans should watch, and ultimately give me your predictions on, on these three games? Lowry Marketing. He's had an off year. Um, they are uh, putting him at power forward only. So he only gets 30 minutes a game. Thad Young gets the uh, other uh, 18. He's had an off year the entire year, rebounding down, scoring down, usage down. If he continues to be poor, I can see us winning those games. But you couldn't tell me that this isn't a get-right spot for Laurie Marketing. With how bad we are at defending fours, and Wendell Carter is legitimately good if he doesn't foul, and we're not really good at drawing fouls, so I could see Wendell Carter playing big minutes. So I, I think it's about I, – I think Laurie is a big X factor in those, in those Chicago games. Um, and defending three-pointers with – obviously Zach Levine caught 13 in a game, but Kobe White, Jacks. The Bulls have a lot of – Interesting pieces. The, the coach just is rubbing the team the wrong way, and I think I think Zach Levine's game against the Hornets is a big fu game to to Boylan. Want to look for over the course of these three games? There's a couple of things. One, I want to see an urgency and just really a hundred hundred and ten percent effort. Now, I know they're they're trying, but I, I want to see them scrap and kind of just gut their way to some victories. I want to see us defend the three point line on defense and on offense. I want 20 assists every night. That's when we are at our best is when we're moving the basketball and not turning the ball over on bad passes because OKC and Chicago, at least for Chicago, I'm not looking at OKC, but they force a lot of turnovers, but they're dog shit at every other thing statistically defensively. So if we can limit turnovers and attack, it's a, it's a, it could be a good thing. I mean, I would, I would love to force Wendell Carter to be in foul trouble and then have uh, their backup uh, run major minutes. Like, I think we have to be aggressive and put pressure on this young ass team. All right, Sage. What are your predictions for Chicago, OKC, and then Chicago at home? So we're playing that Wednesday, right? We play Monday, Wednesday, Friday. That Wednesday is crazy. Did you have you looked at that? Uh, fourteen games. That's a fourteen game day. Yeah, because the NBA doesn't play okay. on Thanksgiving, yeah, exactly. so that's like yeah. So they're just packing that shit. Um, I say we go. I think we beat Chicago once. I don't know which one. You got to pick which one because that's how we do the predictions. We go one and two. Okay, which game are we winning? Uh. The, 
There's one at home, obviously. We go with the we win the one at home. Okay, so you have us losing to Chicago on the road. Yeah, and then beating them at home. And, and you what do you have the Thunder game? I think we lose. Damn it, you're taking I'm not gonna catch up with you if we're gonna have the same predictions. Yeah, I think I think we lose against Chicago. I think the team's ready to head home, and obviously the first home game back is the day before Thanksgiving. It's gonna be a lot of friends, a lot of family in town. I don't like how we're playing. I think we lose at home, and then I think we don't get right, but I think we get off the schneid and get a victory against the Bulls at home. Do you think Chris Paul trolls Dame? In the Chris opinion? Paul, I, I honestly think Steven Adams is going to be the biggest. Steven Adams and Danilo Gallinari are going to be the biggest detriments to us. So hope I'm wrong, but I could see us going one and two on the week. Sage, any other thoughts, or do you want to let our fans know where they can hear us at? Let's wrap this bad boy up. You can check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcasts, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays 2 to 3. And I didn't record video, but I will put this on our YouTube. Um, any final thoughts, my dude? Prove us wrong. Go 3 no. <laughs> yeah, like, we're bad. Prove us wrong. These are winnable games. If we had a roster that you felt confident in, this is these are three very winnable games. Extraordinarily winnable games. Bulls have been dog shit, and then we've seen the team like basically say, fuck Jim Boylan. They're not gonna play hard for them him for that long. OKC is OKC. They live and die Shea Gilders Alexander. Shut him the fuck down and they don't have enough points. Like, these are winnable games. If I trusted the Blazers to win these games, this would be a 3-0 week. These aren't hard games. We just have to be efficient and effective. I just don't think we do it. All right, I think that about wraps it up. Sage, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Eat all of the foods. And Rip City, we will see you next week. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Everybody, let's go.